the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Good morning, church. It is a privilege to come before God's Word with you today. We come humbly, seeking to know God and His good intent for us and our world. We come with open hearts and minds, ready for the Holy Spirit to transform us into something new. Today, we make space for the Word of God to take root in us and grow fruit. Let's bow our hearts together before our good God in prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts bring glory to you alone. You have promised that we will find you when we seek you with our whole hearts, and you are faithful to keep your promises. So speak, Lord. We are listening. Amen. Over the last number of weeks, we have been looking at the things that Jesus said about himself in the book of John. I am the bread of life, the light of the world, the gate for the sheep, and the good shepherd. And I love the way that the message version of the Bible reads John chapter 1, verse 14. The word, or God, became flesh and blood, Jesus, and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like Father, like Son. John's gospel emphasizes that we can know God by looking at Jesus Christ. And Jesus helps us with that by using this embodied language or tangible examples from everyday life to help his listeners, both then and now, understand better who God is and who we are. So today we are going to look at John chapter 15, which Rebecca read for us earlier, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. This word from Jesus is placed within a specific story, a very particular moment for Jesus and his disciples. If you have your Bible handy, or maybe you have the Bible app on your phone, I invite you to open it to the book of John. Join me as we explore this story, which actually begins back in John chapter 13. Jesus and his disciples sit down together to enjoy the yearly Passover meal. We know it as their last supper. Now, they didn't know it was their last, but they did know that this year's Passover was shaping up to be a little bit unusual. Because Jesus starts the meal by washing the disciples' feet. And this was a lowly job reserved only for servants. And yet Jesus, the Son of God, takes it upon himself. And then he says, Since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Then, while they're eating together at the table, Jesus suddenly declares that one of his disciples, one of his 12 best friends, will soon betray him to the religious authorities. Jesus knows that the time of his death is coming soon. He is deeply troubled, and his tone and his words become more urgent. Judas Iscariot has left their table to betray him, and Jesus says, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. 
And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The disciples begin to pick up on Jesus' urgency. They become anxious and distressed at the idea of being separated from him. And John chapters 14 through 16 are Jesus' last teaching to them. And it's full of reassurance. He promises them that they won't be alone. They will have the Holy Spirit. They'll have God's gift of peace in their hearts. And they'll have the hope of Jesus' return. But most importantly, he gives them the mission. The thing that is most important for them to do after he's gone the love commandment. (laughs) I kind of imagine that throughout this last teaching, Jesus is thinking something like, if you remember nothing else I've said to you these last three years, remember this. So Judas' betrayal, the cross before him, and the mission of the kingdom to follow after him are forefront on Jesus' mind when he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine keeper. He removes any of my branches that don't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that it will be even more fruitful. Remain in me as I remain in you. A branch cannot produce fruit by itself, but must remain in the vine. Likewise, you can't produce fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will produce much fruit. Without me, you can't do anything. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. This is my commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. It feels a bit like we're reading in circles, but I actually don't think that's an accident. Jesus calls himself the vine twice. The first time he calls himself the vine and God the vine keeper. John chapter one says the word was with God and the word was God. In John 5, 19, Jesus says the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. And then further along in this John 15 passage, Jesus uses his example of keeping the father's commands and remaining in the father's love as the model for how we ought to do the same. Jesus and God the Father are so closely interrelated that we can hardly tell where one begins and one ends. So then, when Jesus refers to himself the second time as the vine, and this time to us as the branches, and he calls us to remain in him as he remains in the Father, well, we start to have a sense of what that means. In Jesus, the true vine, we have the ultimate example of how deeply intertwined our relationship with him ought to be. That to remain in him is to hardly know where one begins and the other ends. That we would be inseparable from him. 
remaining, abiding, and dwelling are all words used in different translations of this passage, and they are all deeply relational. I imagine that remaining in Jesus, the vine, to look kind of like one of those relationships where you can finish the other person's sentences. Do you have a relationship with like that? Maybe it's your significant other, a best friend, a family member, or a coworker. Now, sometimes we rush to finish people's sentences with what we think they're going to say. But it's, it's not born out of a deep knowledge of the other person. It's more about impatience or poor listening. And it can lead to some pretty awkward moments if we guess incorrectly what they were going to say. But then there's the relationships where you know the person so well that you really do know what they are thinking. Thanks to quality time together, you have learned what makes them who they are and what's important to them. Shared experiences have given you the opportunity to observe how that shapes their thoughts, feelings, and responses to things. And after a while, your thoughts, feelings, and goals can even begin to resemble each other. Others might observe your relationship and say, gosh, you're almost like the same person. And if it's a healthy relationship, that will probably bring a smile to your face because there is joy in knowing someone and in being known. The more we remain in Jesus, the more intimately familiar we become with who he is and as a result, what it means to follow his lead. To remain in Jesus is to know Jesus so that we can be like Jesus and do what Jesus does. That every part of our lives so closely resembles Jesus that the world cannot tell the difference. That is a tall order, friends. We know that we have all throughout history agreed with, justified, and participated in all sorts of things that do not resemble the life, character, heart, or mission of Jesus. And worse, we have dared to attach his name to them. The Crusades, the Inquisition, the belief in manifest destiny that justified colonization, the German church's endorsement of Hitler, slavery and racial violence, and our personal preferences for everything from political candidates to Super Bowl teams to Microsoft over Apple. P.S. If you don't know some of those things that I just listed, what they are, totally worth a Google search. But the point is, we must not be the people who listen half-mindedly to Jesus, quick to finish his sentences with our own words. To remain in Jesus, we must let go of the agendas we cling to, even if of themselves they might be good things, so that we can listen wholeheartedly to that which is best so that the intimacy of remaining will shape us into people who hear, think, speak, and act like Jesus Christ. If you know me well, you know that I'm very much a rule follower. For instance, if my professor says the paper should be 3,000 words, well, then you better believe that my paper is going to be 3,010 words. And so I admit that when I've read this passage before, I've read it conditionally. If you remain in me, then I will remain in you. 
And as I sat with the passage this week, God opened a window in my little eager-to-please heart to see not a condition, but a promise. Remain in me as I have remained in you. As my Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Friends, as Jesus' disciples, that love relationship is a part of who we are, our very DNA. We do not create that intimacy with Jesus, and we can take no credit for making it happen. No matter how developed our devotional life may be, or how much we can say that we pray and read scripture. We see from Genesis to Revelation that God is the one who has sought us out. The whole grand story that we are a part of is God's endeavor to come close to us, not the other way around. It is God who sustains his relationship with us as people and as the church. Take a deep breath here and let that sink in. We are innately loved and connected to the vine, to Jesus. That is really good news. So then, if we don't sustain and keep this relationship going, what is our role? Well, dependence. To remain in him, we must be completely dependent upon Jesus. And unfortunately, this doesn't really come naturally to us. I mean, think back to the milestones in our early lives. They celebrate our steps towards self-sufficiency. First steps, uh, feeding ourselves, tying our shoes, learning to drive. We spend so much of our lives working to never be completely reliant on anyone or anything. Have you ever done a trust fall? It's a team building exercise when one person falls backwards and their teammate behind them catches them. As a wilderness guide and a youth leader, I have facilitated this activity so many times. But I find that every time I do, I end up giving the person who is falling the exact same piece of advice. You have to keep your body stiff as a board, strong as a plank from head to toe. And I say that because when the person falling gets nervous, they tend to get kind of floppy. They actually bend at the middle so that just in case the other person doesn't catch them, they can land more safely on their bottoms instead of flat on their backs. But the reality is, while falling like this feels safer, it actually makes it impossible for the other person to catch them and support their weight. But if the person falling shows their trust by fully leaning into the fall, the other person catches them easily. They learn that dependence and trust is not passive, but active. It's a choice that we have to lean into. It can be so easy to depend on God in half measures. We want him to catch us, but we are often too afraid to lean in fully. But Jesus says that the fruit comes when we, like the branches to the vine, are completely dependent upon him. And it's actually the process of pruning that shows this really well. At the end of a successful harvest season, all the branches should be pruned, which means to cut them back close to the vine. And this is because the vine is the source of all the nutrients. 
if a branch is not pruned in the off season, it might bear fruit in the next growing season, but that fruit will be small, second rate, not long lasting or tasty. And when it finally has run out of nutrients on its own, that branch will wither entirely and the vine keeper will need to remove it so that it will not hold back the healthy branches. But the vine, the branch that is pruned during the winter will have the whole season to gather real strength from the true source. Then it will once again produce fruit that is healthy and beneficial. I love the saying, we are human beings, not human doings. Like dependence, it does not come naturally to us to consider doing less. We feel stuck in our hamster wheels of expectations and to-do lists. We struggle to say no, especially when all the things and ideas and projects seem good and important. But a branch's health is not measured in the amount of its fruit, but its quality, direct evidence of how close to the vine it has remained. Are we willing to lay down what is good to depend on him for what is best. Now, when we start talking about what the fruit is, our human tendency is to get out our checklists and our measuring sticks. Some say that the fruit is the fruit of the spirit. How much joy, peace, patience, kindness, and self-control are evidenced in your life? Well, yes. Some say the fruit is how many people come to know Jesus because of you. Well, yes, sort of. You see, those are the health benefits of the fruit. For instance, eating grapes may help lower your blood pressure, boost your immune system, and keep you hydrated. But this is what grapes do, not what they are. Jesus is exceptionally clear here. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. The fruit is love, specifically loving others the way that Jesus has loved us. A quick look at the life of Jesus clearly shows us this love is not just the warm feelings of love. Jesus shared meals with tax collectors and prostitutes. Perhaps today's version of that would be those who we think have sold out to the opposing political party or individuals we feel have made sexually immoral choices. But to love like Jesus is to love others without condition or prerequisite, not withholding our love only for those we feel are deserving. Jesus was fully present with those others forgot about, or who they wanted to avoid. Instead, he actually touched the sick, got to know the stories of the poor. He went into the neighborhood of the marginalized and shared a drink with a woman of a different ethnicity. So to love like Jesus is to deliberately cross over social barriers like class, gender, and ethnicity, to treat others with compassion and dignity. Jesus loved by serving others in ways that gained him little 
except the disapproval of the religious institution of his day. He loved graciously, forgiving those who repeatedly disappointed, hurt, misunderstood, or betrayed him. He loved by standing up to those in power who took advantage of those without. He loved sacrificially, the ultimate act of love in giving his life for us all on the cross. This is the fruit that he desires to grow in us. Love marked by obedience to Jesus' words and his example. When our love for each other and others looks like that, then we will know that our lives are intertwined with Jesus. And from that fruit, our world will experience the health benefits. The fruits of the Spirit will become deeply evident among us. Joy in our workplaces, kindness in our schools, patience on our roadways, gentleness and self-control in our social media posts. People will come to know Jesus as Savior only when the model of Jesus' love is demonstrated in the lives of his followers, us. We can actually look to the examples of Jesus' disciples. Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, appeared to be a healthy branch. But it soon became clear that the voices of power that promised him action, control, and freedom were more appealing to Judas than Jesus' words of peace, compassion, and selflessness. He could not let go of his own agenda to lean fully into Jesus' mission of love. And he became a branch that withered and died. But contrast this with what we know of Jesus' other 11 disciples following Jesus' death and resurrection. Peter, James, John, Thomas, just to name a few, all of them did embrace Jesus' mission of love. They raised up the first church all over the known world at the time, and it transcended class, gender, and ethnic barriers of all kinds. It was radically inclusive. The large chunks of this young church were persecuted to the point of death and lived in deep poverty. They were known for their peace and the generous way they cared for those around them. These disciples allowed the words and example of Jesus to remain in their hearts, and the fruit of God's love grown in them gently, humbly, and yet powerfully reshaped history. In ancient Jewish tradition, Israel, or God's people, were commonly depicted as a vine. That is why Rebecca read that Old Testament passage for us. Through the prophet Hosea, God promised to sustain his people Israel so that they could grow deep roots, wide-spreading branches, and abundant fruit. And it reminds us of God's original promise to Abraham and his descendants. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to the world. Now, Jesus says that he himself is the vine. He is the one in whom and through whom God's people will be sustained for the work of blessing the world. That is why we come to the communion table. It is a regular practice that reminds us of our shared connection to the vine. 
Jesus, who made relationship possible with him because of his body and blood. The bread and the cup is the food that sustains us together for the mission of love until he comes again. The closer our relationship with Jesus, the more we begin to look like him. Jesus calls us, invites us to a way of being with him out of which our doing grows. Are you remaining in the vine? What practices, habits, and relationships help you to deeply intertwine your life with his? Where do you need to lean in fully to completely depend on him? What fruit are you bearing? And most importantly, does that fruit look like the love of Jesus? Friends, he has shown us what is most important to be and to do. And just like his disciples at that last supper, he has promised that in him, we will have all we need. Amen.